I'm Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's <laughs> About Time for True Crime. Wow. What a frick hey. frack day. How the hell are you guys? <sighs> yes, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those. <laughs> it's kind of one of those weeks where we're both so tired, we're slap happy. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, no, I'm I'm just on giggly juice with no juice. I'm, like, running on fumes, but it's getting me through. It's funny as hell. I like it. Um, I'm, I have a feeling, though. Yeah. Like, the intro is so happy, and then I know what we're going to get into is, like, shit, death, destruction, awfulness. Yeah. It's just like, do 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 Silly, goofy, fun time for us. Yeah. <laughs> then it's going to be awful. Yeah. Um, actually, you guys, I probably won't keep a super long intro today. We'll talk a little, but it's going to be a long one. So we're going to buckle up sooner rather than later. Oh, I'm just, I'm ready to dive into it. If you oh, are. shit. I, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, after part one. Yeah. I am so fucking eager to hear more about this because I've purposefully never looked a goddamn thing. Oh my gosh. This is so this fun. Stuff. Okay. So this is all new to me, like entirely new. And it's very rare that there isn't at least like a title that I'm aware of or right. like something. But for some reason. I love this. Okay. It oh just So are uh, you guys ready? Can can we just like agree we've all had the same kind of like shit's wild, but we're making the best of it kind of week. Yeah, we're just you kinda grab your cup of coffee and Yeah. Um sit do down. It. This is gonna be long. Uh, I literally hit twenty pages. So <laughs> yikes. But we'll get into it. Ah. So, hey, hey, party people. Welcome to part two of Piece of Shit Keith Raniere, the man, the monster, the legend. (laughs) The man, the monster. If you haven't heard part one yet, like Allie and I were just talking about, go check it out. Seriously, we will wait. Okay. Okay, For those of you who did and want to move on, here's a quick recap. Keith Raniere has claimed to be the smartest and most ethical man in the world. He has a lengthy history of running and losing multi-level marketing companies, the claim being that they're being led by him, the smartest man in the world. Where we last left piece of shit Keith Raniere, he had started the National Health Network and was dating and living with Tony Natale when Nancy Salzman walked into National Health Network in search of a constipation fix. We hear you, girl. <laughs> so we'll pick up after Nancy got to poop again. Yes. <laughs> she got to do her do and then was like, whew, moving on. In the store. <laughs> yeah. Right there. In the seat with Tony Natalie. No, there. seriously. She was like, that hit fucking quick, man. And she's like, oh, yeah, I, I veed that Miralax. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> Can you spare a square? <laughs> I cannot spare a square. I cannot spare a square. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let me introduce Nancy Salzman. Mm. Nancy was born on July 16th of 1954. Okay. That makes her six years older than piece of shit Keith Raniere and about 33 when she first first meets him in 1996. Okay. Nancy was well versed in hypnosis and neurolinguistic pathways, which is basically another fancy word for hypnosis. But not fiber. No, certainly okay. not fiber. Not to mention, she had a nursing license that was active from 1983 to 2019. Oh, so shit. So she's a smart woman and very well spoken. And I just want to make a note here. She wasn't active. Like, she had a nursing license, but she was not a therapist. She did not have those credentials. Okay. Um, Tony did not know this at the time. And I feel like a lot of people didn't know because I think she had her own private practice. But just so we know. Mm-hmm. She was smart, like she was educated and she was in the health field, but not the mental health field necessarily. Yeah, makes sense. Like an RN. Yeah. So when Nancy goes into National Health Network and meets Tony, 
and she got the perfect mix of supplements. She was so excited. She was like, oh my gosh, I love this. Hashtag women, we run the world. So I want to return the favor with my own skills. She was like, come in for a session. We'll sit, we'll talk. Like Tony, you seem like, I think Tony had said she wanted someone to talk to, but she was like, great, I'll do that for you. Like, no, if let's you want to pay me back, you can just pay for it. Yeah, literally. <laughs> you can just pay for the supplements. Have you ever considered Like normally there's a dollar a amount associated <laughs> with, with the product that you're taking. You know what? I owe you one. You want to just, I know that poop was priceless, but (laughs) come here, girl. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just like, you know how I can repay you? I'll just let you talk at me. Yeah. Why don't you come into my office? I'll fart up a storm. You talk at me. And then we'll just sit there together. Correct. And marinate in it all. Okay. I love it. Mm. So so, Tony did though, because Tony was in a shit place. She was isolated with Keith um, living with him and raising her son she was being forced to have sex with him daily whether or not she wanted it now is she the one that was forced to relive the trauma is this am I remembering that correctly okay yes so she's already so fragile yes by the time that she meets this woman who's claiming to be a mental health provider correct to make things a little bit easier to deal with I'm stuck with this man who's a fucking nymphomaniac. Like, if she didn't want to have sex, she'd have to barricade herself in the closet to try to not be raped by this fucker. Um, He's in the same house as her fucking son, which is, like, not okay. And through all of this, he has... And I'm serious. I think he gets away with all of this because he is the most average-looking human being there is. He's not exceptionally ugly. He's not exceptionally attractive. I think people overlook him because they think, ah, he can't do any harm. And there's nothing memorable about him. Did I say him. he looked like Bill Gates' like cousin? Probably. I think that's how I just it. He is though. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not comfortable. <laughs> and he like wears the same things. It's like. Yeah. Um. Know. It's interesting. Later, he becomes a renunciate, meaning he re- like renounces all material goods. Um. So he ends up just like finding things to wear, which is an interesting look. But now we just call that fashion. Oh, we're not there yet. Okay. Yes. Exactly. Um, so the two met, Tony was like, thank God someone's here. I'm going to go talk to this therapist. She gets into the office. She sits down on the nice little couch or like chaise long or whatever it is. (laughs) And they start talking and Tony wanted to talk about Keith and was impressed and reassured with Nancy. In their first session, Tony discusses his erratic behavior, his nocturnal sleeping patterns. And even though she didn't mention his like incessant need to fuck something, Nancy immediately was like, oh, that's easy. Your boyfriend is a psychopath. Huh. And then Nancy said, hey, I can help. Let's do therapy for reals. Like, come back. We'll talk more. So the license she doesn't have by session two. Okay, Nancy um took back that she thought keith may be a psychopath he's Mm -hmm. not a psychopath actually you know what um nancy thought that all of these problems were tony's fault tony was the problem oh so nancy sucks Mm -hmm. um and because it was all tony's fault that keith was wild in nancy believed tony had intimacy issues from the sexual assault that she experienced as a four-year-old and nancy said she'd help her deal with it which is like so fucking nice you know what a girl. What a, what a giver. She's like, now that I just feel so much lighter than I did yeah. now that I've taken the shit I was holding in for three weeks, I feel like I can help more. Now I can be a little more emotionally constipated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is your fault. <laughs> oh so my God. Tony is grateful that someone wants to help her and like fix her issues because it's her fault, right? Everybody's telling her it's her fault. It's oh, got to be her fault. she's believing that. Yeah. She wants help fixing it. Oh, I just want to hug her. Um... And 
okay, this person cares about her and is excited to help. Like Nancy's the one that offered like, come back, let's do this. Um, but Tony hadn't told Nancy about her sexual assault. Uh. So how did she know about it? You guessed it. It's Keith. Piece of shit. Ranieri. Had Tony asked any fucking questions, she may have learned that Keith had already met with and started to influence Nancy. Tony had told Keith about her session with Nancy and how excited she was. So Keith booked his own secret session with Nancy and had three more before the time session two came around for Tony. So he had met with Nancy four times in between session one and session two. Oh, my God. And this yeah. woman who's not credentialed is like, you know what? In <laughs> no, my professional right. opinion. He's not a psychopath. I was wrong. <laughs> he is right about everything. Oh, my God. Um, yes. And Keith, because I will say this, he is not a lot of things. But what he is is really good at reading people. I think he knows how to sort of get under people's skin and figure out what's going on. Like, he'll kind of poke at the right buttons for them to open up. See, people like him remind me of, like, they're, they're like shapeshifters yes they will become whatever is needed for the situation all the while being charismatic Mm -hmm. and polite and inviting yeah tell me tell me everything but can turn it on and off yeah like a switch and it's terrifying because he does he we'll hear later he does um but keith in his sessions with her for his therapy sessions boned he actually ended up doing a lot of listening okay and you know what he found out he found out that nancy was going through a difficult patch her (laughs) first marriage had ended and her latest and second was crumbling with her husband when she found him with another man another man Mm -hmm. you know you know what they say when you have a therapist that talks more in your session than you do Uh that's a damn good therapist it's a great therapist like come on i know all right she clearly hasn't heard of the 70-30 rule, okay. but here we are. Um, so in Tony's book, she actually believes that Keith learned one other thing about Nancy at this time, which was what we know, that her credentials were entirely fake. Everyone saw her polished demeanor, and she did have an active nursing license. That is true, but that is not the same thing as being a licensed mental health professional. Correct. Um, and so despite her saying that she was a therapist or a psychologist and everyone assuming she was, all she actually had was earned some certificates in hypnotherapy and neurolinguistic programming, which is a pseudoscience. Like that was proven to be a pseudoscience. It's not real. It's not the whole thing. There are things you can do. And I'm not sure I fully don't believe in either, but it is a pseudoscience in terms of like actual medical health help i mean isn't there i mean i feel like there's research to suggest that hypnosis can help people get like where they want to be but i don't think that you're gonna reprogram somebody's fucking brain i think and this is interesting to me that in hypnosis anytime anybody starts off the hypnotherapist is always like we can't make anybody do anything they don't want to do like you have to be at least willing to participate yeah. in things. But I do think there's something to be said about training how people thought, like think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually a lot of what happens in cults, which we'll kind of get into later. But like, I think with this specifically, you can't just like hypnotize someone to smell rotten cheese every time they see a cigarette. Like that's not going to work. <laughs> right. But if you can say, mm, you're disgusted by those now. And maybe now you think about how disgusted you are more often you're less likely to pick one up, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. But it is, 
debunked. It's a pseudoscience. Your medical professional cannot be like, I hypnotize you to no longer have psoriasis. And then you don't. Like, that's not how it goes. Oh my God, what if I could be hypnotized to be taller? Oh, my gosh. I'd I be know. strutting around like a hot little five foot or two. Or like have lungs that weren't asthmatic. Oh, <sighs> sexy. Or like, what if you could have dairy? Oh, gluten? my God. Oh. Uh, oh my god yum yum okay so i want to get into hypnosis now no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) but um regardless keith found his stick to the carrot yep he had the carrot which was nancy and he had the stick to yank it away which was the blackmail pretty much so nancy fell for all of this pretty fucking hard which like i guess you kind of have no choice it's really like i am fascinated by nancy salesman And I'll talk a little bit more about her because she is 100% an offender in all of this. But she is also a victim. Like, no, she should not have been practicing without a license. But Keith and her, I do believe, had a very brief intimate relationship. Like, very brief. Um, And it's kind of creepy. We'll get into it later. But, like, I believe there was a few times that they met and then really nothing else sexual happened it was just like this is our company this is our baby and this is what we're doing Mm -hmm. um and watching her in i think it's the vow that she's in um you can see that she struggles with it like she believed keith like she i'm pretty sure in her gut thought that he was the smartest man alive and thought that they were doing good or at least something for the greater good right and i think that's the thing about keith ranieri that fascinates me i feel like i see him and i think this is a piece of shit There is no appeal. I don't think that he could like talk to me and I would think anything more than a guy who had just gotten high and taken his first philosophy class. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think I could do that. But there are people that are educated, that are successful, that consistently meet him and fall for this. And I don't get it. And not just people that are gullible or. Right. Educated people. She had a, a nursing license like you have to go to school for that you have to learn things for that when you say that he's got like the blackmail what is it that he's holding over her just that she doesn't have the credentials okay so he's kind of like calling her bluff like yeah everyone else like, believes that you've got that but i know that you don't so we're gonna use this to how i want you to pretty much from what i understand and i think it was played a little better than that like played off lighter than that not mm-hmm. like i'm gonna ruin your fucking career but just kind of like well since you and i both know Right. Why don't we do this instead? And it's kind of like a forceful push. Gotcha. Um, and from what I understand, I think that's actually what happens with Keith and a lot of people. Um, but come February of 1998, Keith and Nancy have known each other for three months and they went into business together. So Keith and Nancy started working on executive success programs. And Keith thought he wasn't doing enough with NHN. Like, he didn't think he was doing enough with the National Health Network. He was the smartest man. He needed to do more. He wanted to unlock human potential. Sounds great on paper. Sure does. So before we get in that, we're going to put a little pin in ESP. And we're going to go to the end of Tony and Keith. Because in April of 1999, Tony and Keith had a big fight. Tony, I don't even think, remembers what it was about. It was just dumb. But, you know... it. It's one of those little fights that ends up being representative of like a lot of things. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so Keith was like really hurt because Tony broke up with him. Um, In fact, so hurt that he had like a little charade or not charade, but like entourage of women that would come over and be like, his physical health is failing because you're hurting him. 
Oh yeah, no that that's constant. That happens to every woman that ends things with Keith. Other woman will be like, "This is hurting him physically. He's more sensitive than us. You need to go fix this." And he just like lay on the couch like he fucking always does, soiling himself or something. Like I don't know. <laughs> well, because I don't know if you remember, but he doesn't even know how to use a fucking soap bar. Like he doesn't know how to clean his apartment. So, Ugh. um, I know that he wasn't the one doing it if it was ever clean. Right. So she's told that he is this hurt, right? And so hurt that, in fact, if we didn't know anything else about piece of shit Keith Raniere, we might actually think he was caught up on one woman. Not so much. Um, But nonetheless, Widow Baby sued her for years. Like, he is a relentless... I I don't even know what to call him. Like, he creates nemeses for himself. Because when anything... Oh, and anytime anything like this happens, he sues and he sues hard and he sues long. So she was in lawsuits for like years. This poor woman. Mm-hmm. What could he sue her for? He was so hurt from a bruised ego that there was one woman he couldn't keep and win and manipulate that he wanted to sue her in court for years. And it was like defamation of his name. lot like dumb things that take a lot to prove because they're really vague just all civil just try to like wipe any bit of money he could from. yeah oh and it's like you didn't do enough (laughs) you've already done that not for nothing so tony gets away and this is so good for her because i think this i mean she still had to deal with shit Mm -hmm. but she actually probably had one of the cleaner getaways out of everybody it's awful and now again, that's April 1999. So that's about a year after ESP started. But I wanted to put that in there because she actually, and I believe all of his exes that leave permanently get black named. So they aren't talked about. Their name isn't spoken in any Nexium or ESP class. Like nothing. Doesn't matter if you know him. Doesn't matter if you know them. They are traitors. Wow. We don't talk about them. Just so, like exiled from their world. Yeah. And you're shunned if you brought it up. So if you're like, hey, I heard Tony's getting sued. What happened? They're like, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about Tony. We don't talk about Bruno. What a banger. Right. Um. So it doesn't come without consequence that she leaves. Keith did everything in his power to basically ruin her life for over 15 years. And in a love letter, he wrote her after this. I want to read some excerpts from it. This is provided by the Frank Report, and the Frank Report is written by an ex-employee of Nexium. Mm-hmm. And I want to make that very clear. It was just Nexium. It's not anything underneath that. Because there's a lot underneath Nexium. Nexium. So, I'm going to read you a couple of excerpts, <laughs> excerpts from this letter. It is so dumb. I'm going to read you the beginning. Dear Tony... This letter is meant for the person I refer to as sweetheart. My sweetheart was a joyous, loving being, a fighting angel that upheld the right no matter how hard and had the strength to do whatever it took. My sweetheart swore on the life of her son that she would never hurt me, leave me, and be loyal to me no matter what happened. We had a dance where we held hands and I would sing to her as she held her head against mine. It is to this person I write if she is still alive. If not, may this serve as a tribute to a perfect love once experienced. (sighs) I pledged at all costs to help you do this. And this is like super nice of him. He says, I wanted to help you overcome your neediness and open your heart through growth. Okay. Growth was simply three things. One, you had to open your heart and give as much as you took. 
you would then never be dependent on others or need others to do things for you. Two, you had to apologize sincerely for what you had done. And three, you needed to learn to trust yourself so that you could trust me completely. Ew. Yeah. Then he goes on. This is all like filled in with a bunch of random ass shit that he thinks is philosophical that really just sounds dumb. He ends with, or not ends, but another paragraph. But if I told you, or if I did not leave room for doubt, you could never learn to trust, you see. If you know something, it is not trust, it is knowledge. So he is claiming that he was allowed to keep any secret he wanted because if he told her, she wouldn't be trusting him. She would just know that. It's just knowledge. That's just a fact. So he can't tell her things, which basically means he doesn't have to say shit. And then, uh, you know, at the end of something, he can be like, well, that's not what I was doing at all. I was doing this thing for you. But I couldn't tell you that because you don't trust anybody. And I wanted to help you learn how to trust. And to trust, you can't have any facts. You just have to believe in me. Yeah. You just have to believe that I know. Yeah. Then he says, as the years passed, I had to give you less and less hoping to wean you off of the quote unquote taking addiction. Oh, fuck you. Uh huh. I could not let you know how much I actually did behind the scenes because then I would have been feeding your quote unquote taking addiction. Bruh. Yeah. <laughs> I want to slap him. It was important you loved me for what I was, not for what I did for you. Okay. When I first knew this, I had hoped you would overcome your defiance, anger, and spite. These were your ca- These were caused by your increasing disloyalty towards me slash us. Okay. And you would open up your heart. But you were too angry with me over your betrayal. Bruh. Bruh. It is important to note you do not trust people because you cannot be trusted. This is proven by your actions. Remember, I trust everyone, including you, because I can't imagine being an untrustworthy person. This is because I am very trustworthy. Yeah. Um. So about that. <laughs> and then... He goes on to say, I later discovered this path leads to not very nice things for you. And it appears my sweetheart may well go to jail. I pray this does not happen, but I don't think my sweetheart has anyone to help her where she is. I think she is now alone and trapped. Super comforting. Okay. And then he goes, please have my sweetheart call and nobody else. I hope my sweetheart calls. If not, then I shall dance with my sweetheart forever in my dreams. But never again in real life shall we touch for my sweetheart no longer exists. I can only live. I can live only wholly with you or not at all. Uh, Wait, can you just read the rest of it? Be calm. Love me. Today, yesterday. What tearful longings for you. You, my life, my all. Farewell. Oh, continue to love. Never misjudge the most faithful heart of your beloved. Ever thine, ever mine, ever ours. No, Keith. He doesn't fucking sign the thing. (laughs) (laughs) What a piece of shit. Oh, my God. Isn't that literally the most ridiculous love letter you've ever heard? I'm literally squinting at the gaslighting from this. He's like, I don't want you to go to jail, but now that you're alone and have no one to help you, I Maybe think you're you trapped. Will. Maybe you will. And I can only live entirely with you or not at all. So if you don't entirely surrender yourself over to me, refuse to accept any <sighs> word other than mine, Yep. not seek fact anymore, only trust me, 
if you can't do all those things, then get the fuck out of here. Then you're dead to me. <laughs> Sweetheart, I fear she may be dead. And she's just no longer alive. You're like, like, no, she's like three hours away. You're just an asshole. Yeah. She's literally at a parent-teacher conference meeting. She's got shit to do. Legit. Her life is not about you. Like, she's going to IHOP tomorrow. It's a good fucking day. Leave her alone. (laughs) She did not need this ruining her stuffed French toast. Seriously, knock it off. So, Tony and Keith are now done. And despite the fact that she has to deal with a bunch of shit from him legally in the future, we're at least done with that part. Okay. So then we get to exe- like executive success programs. I want to just start by saying this goes by ESP a lot, and the people that participate call themselves espions. Um, okay. The people that have left ESP currently call themselves expians, which I think is really cute. But at this current time, they're all espions because no one's in left. this timeline. It just begun. Okay, so can you repeat what ESP stands for? Sure. It stands for Executive Success Programs. Okay, this Executive is the Success Programs. Pyramid-esque... Um, life coaching, almost? Life coaching. They call it a curriculum that unlocks human potential. And what that really means is it's just a bunch of bullshit to sit around and talk in a room for five hours and, like, I don't know, call, like charge people a shitload of money but yeah but at the end of the day you give all your money to them mm-hmm. okay gotcha yeah. gotcha gotcha and you get money for recruiting new people re-pyramid scheme gotcha. so so my god this is wild keith and nancy start up this esp in february of 1998 about a year before this breakup happens or at least they start drawing up the plans i'm not sure when the door is opened but i know that they claim february of 1998 is the beginning so Keith basically thought he was too good to just save people money at the National Health Network that he also drove into the ground. (laughs) He thought that he wanted to do something more. He wanted to make an impact. And so the story allegedly goes that Keith and Nancy had a four-day meeting in which all of this came together. With Nancy, Keith set up ESP, Life Coaching, Executive Success, and Unlocking Human Potential. ESP also has that MLM structure with, you know, getting the commission from people below you. And worded very similarly to what Nancy got better at, um, they'd sell human progress technology. Keith knew what he wanted, and he knew Nancy could make it happen. The podcast Colts compared this to Keith having the nails and Nancy being the hammer, which I thought was a good visual. Because I think he was able to manipulate so many people because of the strong woman he surrounded himself with Mm -hmm. like he surrounded himself with people who had good logic who you wanted to believe who you thought were good natured and because of that everything was excusable right and it made him look like well if they believe them these educated women these well-liked women these kind women these hard-working and ethical women then if he they back must him. be the smartest man in the world right so who am i to say right who am i who i've probably been told that i'm none of those things now right. how could i question that so there's a lot of very specific vocabulary and structure that creates dominance within esp and i want to go over it because it it does get kind of lingo-y so we'll need to know some nexium terms here mm-hmm um, by the way, Nexium is the overarching company that leads ESP. So these are all like programs within one company. Okay. So it's actually like a, it is a company. Yeah. Like Nexium a, is a an organization. Yeah. Okay. People can work for Nexium. So NHL, is that what the other one was called? 
HL no. Oh, NHN National Health Network. Okay, yeah, that's under Nexium, just like that was its own thing. Oh, now Nexium starts, ESP starts, and any other program we talk about is under Nexium. Okay, so it's separate. Gotcha, gotcha, mm-hmm. gotcha. Yeah, because he ran National Health Network into the ground and left Tony with all of the debt, debt from it because it was a gift to her in her name. <laughs> oh my God, what a piece of that shit that he allowed her to have a job at. Yeah. What a guy. He's a piece of shit. So <laughs> so we're just going to do like a little vocab lesson here. Um, Keith would go by Vanguard. So I don't know if y'all remember in part one when we talked about the arcade dates with the minor that he'd go on. Mm-hmm. But Vanguard was that video game where the person would get more strength by killing enemies. And that was what Keith would be called. Vanguard. Oh, come on. Mm hmm. Um, Nancy was to go by prefect and people would rise up the ranks of ESP. This was done visually and with coursework. I assume also with enrollment and like sales to other people Mm -hmm. like recruitment. Um, and it was called the stripe way. Okay. So first when Keith and Nancy started, Keith sought to use a lot of Nancy's connections because she had her nursing license. She was well known in like neurolinguistic pathways and hypnosis before this was all deemed a pseudoscience she actually had some like high caliber clients like she had a good rolodex if Mm -hmm. you will um but her business contacts would always answer her calls they trusted her but then the second she'd mentioned keith and they'd look him up they're like i'm fucking out this guy's had multiple mlms no Mm -hmm. i'm not doing this right and so Keith started marketing to the common man, if you will. Okay. Everyone wanted more of something. So he offered them more of whatever it is they wanted. He ended up getting smart, capable people who usually just wanted community and betterment and belonging. And he would charge them up to $7,500 for each course. Uh, uh-huh. Okay. Like people went into significant credit card debt for this. Oh, that's sad. It's really sad. So we'll get into the curriculum a little. The first class told each of the participants to call Keith Vanguard and Nancy Prefect, and then they would start getting into the sashes. Keith thought that hierarchy was pertinent, and it would be defined by these. So there's a white sash, which is a beginner. A yellow sash is the coaching level. If you get to the orange sash, you're a proctor. A green is a senior proctor, all the way up to quote-unquote the ethereal sash which obs only keith had what okay a dipshit. other than the ethereal one those are literally the fucking karate belts yep mm-hmm. okay yeah um and fun fact here this does make me laugh a little this was in a conversation in the escaping nexium podcast between the narrator the guy who did it and sarah edmondson who we'll talk about later and he was like i was in court today and you'll never guess these nexium fun facts and this is in there so i do think that the ethereal sash was also white but very long and keith wore it because he was a student of life what a dipshit um fuck a bag (laughs) here's the catch there's also a black sash that i've heard about but i haven't seen in any of these hierarchies like explained and the black sash is what was talked about in court and apparently to get it you have to invent something that will change humanity okay naturally keith already had this because he was the philosophical found out uh, founder and fucking self-imposed important dick stick he must have created something to change humanity so i think he had one but he never wore it because he was a student of life what a guy i know i mean (laughs) 
He has said that he changed the weather with just his mind once. So who could dispute that? I wanted it to rain. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. I thought I could control the wind for like two seconds as a seven-year-old because I raised my hand at the same time that the wind picked up. Doesn't mean I did it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) the fuck? So... We're going to look at how this goes psychologically because there's a lot that's implemented here to remind you that you are less than. Mm. Um, The system is basically very similar to Scientology, uh, which is interesting. If you know more about that, we might do like a little info on it, but I'm sticking to Nexium because there's enough here for fucking ever. Um, But basically what it does is it rewards people for doing what you tell them to do better. So you do well, you earn a new rank, you level up, you become better, and therefore you're better than those below you. But the only way you got up was by doing what other people told you to do. Okay. So sashes were not only a visual representation and like probably a serotonin motivator, like, oh, I get a new color sash. Right. Um, but it also then immediately placed them on a level in any room. Everyone's wearing their sash every single course. You know where everybody stands and where you stand in relation to them. And so this inserts some level of like forced mentoring. If these people grew, you wanted to be like them. What are you doing? You tell me like I want to grow. And so this is exactly how Keith got in. And this is kind of like the crack in the door for everybody that he'd wiggle open. There were special handshakes. Keith thought that if you were with a higher ranked student, the lower rank always had to put their hand on the bottom of the handshake. Okay. Because you were like below them or some shit. All right. Keith also made a rule of paying tribute, which is anytime a higher rank enters a room, everyone that's a lower rank has to stand. Ah, oh, jeez. Which sounds fucking exhausting. Oh, and I'm sorry. I had to step out. I had to pee. Also, everyone, literally. <laughs> sorry. So uh-huh. every time the laxative hits Nancy again, they all have to fucking get up? Yeah, literally. Right. And they're like, please, Nancy, we just beg of you, sit in there in between the rounds. Stop coming back in. <laughs> Sit till you're done. (laughs) Sit till you're (laughs) done. So the other thing that's weird is that everyone bows to one another. It's like namaste shit and yoga. And don't get me wrong. I love yoga. But like everybody's bowing to each other. And Keith kisses everyone on the lips. And I hate that. Um, And it has nothing to do with the ranking system. I just wanted another reason to say that I hate that he kisses everyone on the mouth. So let me ask you this. Is it all women? No, there are some men in Nexium. Okay, and so they just also believe that they're less than, like... Yep, they just also are like, I'm trying to become a better person. I want this community. We're all dedicated to making the world a better place. Yeah, it just seems so female-oriented. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of what he wanted. Yeah. But there were a lot of men. And Mark Visante, he comes up later. He was a pretty popular director. He ended up being the videographer for everything Nexium because Keith was a narcissistic and paranoid piece of shit. He wanted every word he ever uttered on the planet to be recorded, which comes real in handy for the court tra- court, <laughs> the court hearings. hearings. Yeah. But um, otherwise, just basically meant Mark was like the videographer for all of Nexium. So great for him. But there were men there and they all like. Quite a few of them claim to like get close with Keith, which is interesting. I don't think in like I feel a like he would not have allowed kind of that. way. Yeah, but I just feel like he would he would just see that as such a threat mm. that he would. I think he's too narcissistic keep to them under think other men foot. are threats. Mm-hmm. I think he could literally be like, "Well, I have an 140 IQ, so oh, what do you want?" So Keith then in these first classes would teach everyone that there are two different kinds of people in the world: there are parasites and there are producers. 
all humans begin as parasites. We depend on others and some people stay there, but others learn and gain their own independence and become producers and they produce something in the world. And to become a producer, you have to go through all of Nexium. He had me in the first half. Uh huh. I'm like, well, I guess, yeah, you want to be productive for yourself and be self reliant, independent. And then it's the whole. But you have to do all thing. of this yeah, first. Yeah, that part. Yeah, that's the one. Um, so then they start introducing explorations of meaning or EMs. And these we'll see a lot. So in EM, a coach would take a student through a thought or behavior and they try to find the root cause of their quote unquote negative emotions. So once they find the quote unquote root, the coach would then try to say, all right, let's separate this immediate response from your like trigger, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So what Nancy usually says is like, you know, when you're younger and you're in trouble and your mom uses that tone of voice and everybody knows it. It's the one that means you're in trouble. And then anytime somebody else has a tone similar, you like panic and you're like, oh, my God, I'm in trouble. Yeah. So she tries to be like, OK, so then we're going to go back to that and say, what if you didn't have that reaction anytime somebody used that voice? You asked why first and then you made a decision like that kind of thing. It's a little more fucked up than that. And we'll talk about some. I have a few like actually written out here because I think they're fascinating and super manipulative. But okay. everybody, almost everybody gets an EM and everybody's encouraged to get them. And everyone fell for that. Pretty much. Um, and this is promised to destroy the root causes holding people back from becoming a producer. And what does the EM stand for again? Exploration of meaning. Okay, sorry. There's a lot of acronyms. I know. There really is. Um, so I wanted to mention something interesting here about the EMs. In the podcast Infamous, there there's a four-part series on Nexium called The Inner Circle, which was so good. Cannot recommend enough. Um, but an interview was conducted with Nancy Salzman. And... During the interview, like on the tape recorder, she interviews a woman named Jacqueline. So Jacqueline struggled with flying. It made her panicky and she wanted to change that. So she does an exploration of meeting with Nancy on this. And it's in the recording. I highly recommend checking it out yourself if you're interested. It's in the second episode of the series. But what I found was that it all sounded like super fucking manipulative. Nancy asked her some questions Jacqueline would answer. And what it came down to was as a kid, her father was on the run. They flew a lot. It comes out that Jacqueline thinks her mother was forced into this by her father and it made her feel scared and that she needed a man to look out for her or something. And I don't really know where the second part of that came from, but she said it herself. So I'll throw it in here. I think it's worth mentioning, though, that Nancy has not known Jacqueline since she was a child. So when Nancy refutes this, she says... Your mom wasn't forced to do that. She made that choice. Uh, she doesn't know that for sure. But then, in almost a demeaning way, she was like, that changes things if she made that choice. She must have loved him very much. And basically says that because Jacqueline's older now and can see that it was a choice, flying isn't scary because you're not being made to do it by someone on the run. Okay. Yeah. While this seemed to work for Jacqueline, she actually sounded like, oh, interesting. Okay. I think it's incredibly manipulative and entirely unethical to insert your own commentary on a memory that you have no idea whether or not is true. No clue. She hasn't known her. She doesn't know her, like, mom. 
I mean, if it were coming from a place of like, you know, things are different now, you aren't under those situations, right. you're choosing to fly on your own, instead of just being like, well, your memories are incorrect. Yeah. And your mom did all of that of her own volition. You don't know that. Like, yeah. It's yeah. like, it's like the idea is rooted in a good, at least in that yeah. small situation. It's like, yeah, it's not practical for her to be terrified of flying because she feels like she's on the run that's right that's not a healthy way it's going to impact her life in in a negative way right but then the way around that is not to discredit her memory and make her second guess herself it's to say hey you're an adult you have autonomy why don't we try this ourselves see what we do for fun and see how it feels when you don't think you're being forced to do it oh my god so anyway um to fill in gaps with unverified information to change someone's perspective on their family is just like a lot of fucking power and to do that within a cult organization is fucking wrong so keep in mind the interview was in 2017 or so so that was over 25 years after nexium began Mm -hmm. in fact recruitment and not self-growth is also helped you know and Returning to ESP and rising up the stripe way, mm-hmm. recruitment and not self-growth gave most people their promotions. So if you recruited enough people, then you were a leader and not, then you became because, promoted. Not because you worked on yourself. Did well, yeah. Yeah. So in the late, 1980, er, the late 1990s, Keith and Nancy started teaching the ESP curriculum. Students could resolve their impulses and become a producer for society. Hooray! Imagine struggling with like substance use disorder mm-hmm. and being like all i need to do is shell out eight thousand dollars yeah to go to this 12 week thing and i'll come out of it and i'll never struggle with that again nope and then feel like something's wrong with you when you inevitably do struggle oh with yeah that? oh wait we're gonna get that i'm oh, so good. excited oh good 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 it's shitty it's not exactly substance use disorder but there's a whole thing about tourette's we'll get to oh my i know So I also just wanted to add in here, and this includes a very big look into the privacy that Keith kept. Many students did not meet him for like a really long time, especially after Nexium took off. Like at the beginning, he was more involved. He would have to help teach. And then as they started filling positions for teachers and people started rising up to be leaders, he got to like take a step back and it would take people a while to meet him. You'd like have to prove you were worthy, basically. Oh, come on. Yeah. And so Keith was described to all of the students as a renunciate, renouncing all of the material goods. He was driven around by people in his inner circle. He didn't own anything. Nothing like that. I mean, probably because his credit was shit because he ran multiple companies into the ground. But what do I know? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it is a philo- like a philosophy. <laughs> oh, my God. And then he also was frequently described as celibate to students, despite the fact that he had a harem of something like 15 to 20 women with a Nexium at all times. Could you imagine the STDs going around that place? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about getting the clap? <laughs> so. Just for a cute little vocab lesson, a harem is different than polygamy and polyamory. Polygamy is having multiple wives or rarely multiple husbands for one individual. Polyamory is when multiple people are dating each other. So everyone is dating multiple people. But a harem essentially is many individuals who are monogamous to one person and that one person has multiple partners. So Keith could fuck any one of those 15 to 20 women, but they could only fuck him. Okay. Okay. Okay, I don't... Okay. So, many people didn't get to see these discrepancies right off the bat. And in fact, it took some time to even get to meet him. Again, it was considered like an honor. You had to prove that it was something 
you're worthy of. And if he chose to have sex with you, imagine how amazing you must have been. Right. Okay. Precisely. And then you could only have sex with him for the rest of your life. Oh, it was a for life thing? Oh, yeah. No, no, Like, no, once was... he had sex with you once, it's like, this is it now? Pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. All right. Um, And so, I have, like, I understand where people couldn't like would not see this for some time like how they could kind of get duped into this you know what i mean yeah it's like what we say with abusive relationships they don't start horrible right (laughs) and it's like this offered a community and it was all of the students that were there were dedicated to self-improvement they all wanted to be better people they all wanted a better community and i think that makes this particularly heinous because he's not preying on people that want to be pieces of shit he's doing it to people that want to find something bigger than themselves that want to become like I don't know, more advanced and learn more about themselves and be a better person. Yeah, more in touch with themselves and their bodies and right. using, I don't know, reaching their full potential and whatever that might look like. Yeah, and so it's really fucking frustrating because then he just manipulates all of that to say, well, this is what a better life looks like. And it's like, well, better isn't better for everyone. Better is better for Keith. So yes. Um, Nexium expands. It takes off. Like, Literally, I think at one point they had over 250,000 people. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Nancy, while a perpetrator in and of herself, is also a victim. And regardless of what you believe Nancy knew at the time or didn't, there is no doubt in my mind that if she didn't fool herself, he did. Because I think Keith fully took advantage of her. Not to mention he had blackmail on her. Um, despite it being incredibly unethical and inappropriate to falsify credentials and then to further that by putting her at the lead of your company with those false credentials, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Nancy wasn't really operating as a therapist in Nexium, so I guess maybe good? I don't know. She was immediately called prefect and someone to be idolized. Not sure that's better. So she was allowed to have one-on-one meetings with people where she got to put whatever seeds in their mind she wanted. She always did the EM. She always did the exploration of meanings. That's damaging. Yep. And again, I watched a fucking bunch of things. They're all listed below, but I've seen quite a few documentaries on it. I've listened to a fucking ton of podcasts and interviews. So a lot of this is from these people themselves. Mm -hmm. But in watching the Vow series on HBO Max, it's just painful to see Nancy come to terms with Keith. She might be an incredible actress, but I really think she's just like a distressed woman. In watching it, like, she seems to really think that Keith was this. And, like, sort of as the filming goes on and she learns more and more comes out, she just gets these distressed looks. And every now and then there's a few scenes of her just, like, sobbing. Like, do I deserve this? Did I really... Do I deserve this? Like, did I do this? If it quacks like a duck. Literally. And, you know, I think it's... It's worth saying that, like, you are still responsible for your own actions, even when you're operating under false impressions. Mm -hmm. But I think she really was duped. Like, I really think she fully bought into it, which just makes me sad. Like, it makes all of that so much less meaningful for her. And now she's on the hook for doing a bunch of really shitty things for someone that isn't even real. Yeah, because if she thought that he was all that in a bag of chips doing the, I don't know sketchier things might have been more digestible right this think, is for the smartest person alive yeah there's got to be a greater meaning to it he wouldn't ask me to do that if you know and i can't ask questions you know right it's all in that trust of he's got to so she was invested in the beginning and she did believe in keith and i mean why 
wouldn't she? He pointed out she's a fake. He has been in the Guinness Book of World Records to say he's one of the smartest men alive. Like all of these things. She has a paper trail to back up what he's saying. And she's seen it in person. And he's given her status and reputation and trust and work. And he believed in her. So, of course, she'll want to believe in him. She was excited then to introduce her daughters to the Nexium curriculum, Michelle and Lauren. Um, and after a few months, Nancy invites her friend Barbara Bruchet as well. She's got kids, too. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. says this is a good place for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is also part of why I believe she believed it, because I don't think any mom would put their kids in that if they really knew what was going on. I just don't. I don't think if you like claim to love somebody, you'd do that. But we're going to talk about Barbara. Barbara Boucher. Before we talk about Lauren Salzman, who will come up next episode, um, and she does become incredibly important, we do need to talk about Barbara. She had been going through a tough time when she was invited to ESP, which is like most people's stories. Um, she was having a tough time and looking for something to fix it. And maybe they try a few things and end up at Nexium or like Barbara, maybe a friend says, Hey, I know you're struggling and this actually really helped me. This is the real deal for self-help groups. Come on over. After all, the smartest man alive was going to tell her how to fix this and become successful and happy at a time that was just like really testing her. And so Barbara was going through a tough time and her best friend had recently passed and she had just asked her husband for a divorce. So like things were falling apart. Mm. Um, And ESP seemed like the smart thing to do to get yourself back on track. So after a few courses, Barbara was hooked. It took merely a few months for Keith to sink his little teeth in and the two became, you guessed it, romantically involved. Um, And whose friend is she again? Nancy's. Okay. Nancy Like a higher up. Yeah. Okay. And so Barbara's impressed by the material and it only took six months for her and Keith to get together. No, jeez. Barbara met Keith in the spring of 2000. At this point in Nexium, Keith taught more than half of the program due to its novelty and their lack of instructors beyond Nancy and himself. So the more connected she felt with Keith, the more she bought into the material. And I'd probably say vice versa. So Barbara starts to help them with marketing and sales and growth because that's what she's good at. In fact, she is so good at it that she was at one point handling over a million dollars in the same work with the company she worked with before Nexium. So she was good at this. She also had prominent contacts and she started to handle all of the money for Nexium. So Keith was able to take someone highly efficient and effective at their job in handling money and use that expertise for his own gain, which like... Of course, because it's fucking Keith. And while Keith's piece of shit, Ranieri, is in fact a piece of shit, I can't say that it wasn't smart or necessarily unethical. I think if you believe in something and you have a business and you find people who are good at certain skills that you need. You're not going to purposely choose idiots right. to run all the shit. But I also think in this case, it's fucking ridiculous because it's a fucking lie. I don't even know that he knows that. I think that he might believe this. I think he might believe that he's the smartest man. But it's all a lie. That's just worse. I know. And so Barbara also had a very secretive relationship with Keith. She believed they were in a committed relationship. He'd sleep at her house three or four nights a week. She drove him everywhere. Anytime they'd go to a Nexium event, everybody would move on the couch for her. Like it was known that she was his girlfriend, but like they didn't say it. Even though he can be with anybody. 
also. Right. I don't think he told her this yet. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. She says in multiple interviews she thought they were soulmates. Which well, just, just makes me sad. So it took over a year for Barbara to learn that there was anybody else that Keith slept with. And for the rest of the nine years that they were together, there were 12 other women that he had consistent sex with. Nine years they were together? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. And Barbara saw a lot of abuse within the inner circle, but by 2009, she knew she had to get out. She also didn't know about nine of the other women that he slept with. That'll do it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So also, let's just get this out here because it's important. I think about five months in, and I don't know if this is five months into knowing each other or dating. I'd venture to say dating. Keith says he has a new formula to test against the market. He says, hey, Barbara, let's each put in $25,000 to test. Yeah, you could twenty five grand burning a hole in your pocket, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she had to think about it. But eventually she says, you know what? Okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's try it. Um, and the fucking parasite himself says, cool, cool. Can I borrow mine from you? Uh, Can I borrow my 25000 from you? Oh, no. So she eventually says yes. So we'll skip forward some time. And Keith's knocking at the door. He's crying. He's like sobbing. He's just so broken up because the investment fell through and he lost every penny of it. And now instead of being pissed, Barbara's kind. I mean, I'm sure she's pissed, but she's still kind. And she saved a ton in her life. And 50K is nothing to cough at, but she would be okay. She still had a significant savings and like was making money. She could make it up. Except here's the thing. Vanguard him fucking self put these business ventures in Barbara's name as a gift. Or it would have been if he also hadn't racked up over $600,000 worth of debt in her name as well. Oh, my God. So the broker called and he said, I need $600,000 because that's what we're under. And so she pays. And a few weeks later, they call and they say they need $300,000 more. She had $600,000? Oh, yeah. She's got money. She handled a lot of money. She was good at this. Oh, but um, then they had to ask for another 150. And in this like interview that she's talking about, she's just so stressed. And she's like, I told them to pull it. They were like, that's expensive. And she was like, I don't care. I can't keep doing this. Pull it like yeah. sell it for whatever it's worth. I'll take the loss. I just want out of owing you guys six figures. Like, yeah. So at the end of the day, when she recounts all of that all of the money that Keith took, it was in total around $1.6 million. Oof. And when she said he had to pay it back, he said, oh, I thought it was a gift. And then they broke up. And when they broke up, Keith sued her incessantly, making claims that she stole from the company, saying all sorts of things that she had to go back and prove through all of her records that she did not. And kept her in litigation for years. And then, by the way, after it went so long that she had to file for bankruptcy because he literally leached like over a million dollars off of her and kept her in litigation and paying attorney fines and court fees and fines for years. He tried to block her from filing for bankruptcy. What a dick. I know. I hate him. So... Barbara describes Keith on the Megyn Kelly Today show, and she said that she got to see him outside of these groups. And in day to day, he was very soft spoken. He was funny. He was witty, a good conversationalist. He did brag frequently. But Barbara says, regardless of what his IQ was or how smart or quick he was, that he was really bright. And she said it was really believable, like that he was the smartest man alive. She was like, yeah, I kind of buy it. 
And I'm like, yikes, poor thing. But another absolute batshit banana pants I wanted to throw in here. Like, uh, this is fucking nuts. Keith had a very different tactics for different victims. I try to give credit where credit is due. And although it does make me a little nauseous to say out loud, Keith was great at reading people. He knew their insecurities. He knew what made them tick, what motivated them. And very quickly after spending time with them, too. So um, he knew that Barbara believed in reincarnation. And he told her that she was reincarnated. Do you want to know who she was reincarnated from? Please tell me. Heydrich Reinhardt. And if that name sounds familiar, it was because he was a leading Nazi in the World War II era. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And oh. you want to know how he knew this? That's a slap in the... F- oh, my God. Wait, 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 wait. It gets better. Do you want to know how he knows this? Oh. Because her last name is Boucher. And Boucher means butcher in French. He also knew that she was Reinhardt because his nickname was Butcher of Prague. Well, that's not it. No, it is. She's definitely... What the fuck, guy? And that's not all. That is not all. They were not only in the presence of a very high-ranking Nazi in the World War II era. They were in the presence of reincarnated Hitler himself, Nancy Salzman. Imagine that. And these were people that he idolized. Like, these were people that he liked. And he thought yeah. this was a compliment to he give He was them? like, your life is about atoning for the sins that you did in your last life. So basically, any woman that wasn't incredibly insecure or self-critical he was like yeah no that's because you're atoning for a sin in your past life as hitler oh yeah like imagine saying that without laughing how do you be like you're hitler (laughs) like what oh my god so even better and naturally what allowed keith to say let's make a sex cult and sing kumbaya was that he just so happened to be reincarnated too and do you want to know who he was in his past life? Gandhi? I don't know. Um, no, he was actually the leader of the partisans trying to save the Jews during the Holocaust. What a giver. I know. We should all really listen to him. So Barbara and Nancy really had to get it together, right, for their anti-Semitic past lifetimes, I guess. And don't worry, <laughs> Keith had the answer. And the answer was, like, always sex with him. <laughs> I would love for one of them to just be like, I'm fucking Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> no, Nancy Salzman is Jewish. <laughs> and he called her Hitler. <laughs> Yeah. Did he hear that when it came oh, out? <laughs> I think he probably tasted the shit. But like. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so now we're going to talk about Nexium's success and the high rollers that were involved. Oh, no. Around this time, ESP started to take off and went to different countries. Um, the newest line of recruits really respected and were excited about the curriculum. So when it took off, it Nexium ended up marketed to prominent political figures in Mexico, found its way to the. Um, Bronfman family, which is the family that owns Seagram's. Seagram's like seltzer water, I believe ginger ale, which I hate, so don't quote me on that, but I do think so. And they also have pretty alcoholic beverages with names like Jamaican Me Happy. I loved those when I was younger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this family okay. that owns them. Okay. So he gets the daughters. I've given them money. <laughs> yep. He gets the daughters of that family and the heirs to the Seagram's fortune to join Nexium. Um, actually, Keith borrowed something around $65 million from the Bronfman family. Oh, okay. Um, surprisingly, um, hopefully nobody, he lost it all. So don't worry. Um, Keith does say that it was Claire Bronfman's fault. She's the most involved of the Bronfman daughters. Um, she spoke to a reporter, which angered her father, who had some mythical sway over the market to ensure that Keith failed. 
why Mr. Romfman would ultimately wreck his own finances by demolishing $65 million worth of a loan he gave out. I don't know, but Keith was convinced. Mm-hmm. I bet he was a Nazi, too. Mm, probably. Okay. And they're all just doing it against this poor man trying to save the Jews. Seriously. In his past life. He's just, you know, he's so heroic. I know. He just doesn't get the credit that he deserves. God. And What an asshat. I mean, really, I lose sleep over that. <gasps> so now, here's something interesting about Claire. She was super soft-spoken in the infamous Inner Circle series on Nexium. Vanessa, who's the host of the podcast, got to speak to Claire. And this is kind of an honor because Nexium didn't ever have journalists. So Vanessa doing this podcast was the first journalist they let in when all of this shit started to hit the fan. Um, so it's really interesting to hear her interviews and her perspective. But Claire has this like very beautiful, elegant accent. She's super quiet. And so basically she says she wanted to yes man anyone she could and be super non-confrontational until she could get to Keith. Because she was like, she knows that if they turn her down, she's not going to get all of her interviews. So in this interview with Claire, Vanessa is very, very easygoing. She is in like almost all of them. Um, But Claire has this beautiful accent. It's like very polished, high end. She's really quiet, though. And she poured her faith into Keith, like literally nothing I've ever seen. Like, even after all of the allegations came out, even after shit started hitting the fan the second time, Claire was in it to win it. And she was like the money for Nexium. She really was. She was the wallet. Um, she'd say, he's so great. He's this, he's that. And she wanted to leave a legacy, be a part of something bigger than herself, or at least make a good profit, which is, of course everything Keith Raniere promises. Mm -hmm. He doesn't deliver on any of it, but he promises. And so Keith wasn't the way to do that. I'm not sure if she knows that now, but she certainly didn't then. And Vanessa continues to ask questions, most of which we just answered, but how Nexium and ESP worked, like those kinds of things. Tell me about the organization, all of that. And throughout every interview Vanessa did, nobody made one critical comment about Keith. Not one which I thought was fascinating. It wasn't even like I disagree with his leadership style. Wow. Nothing like that. So other big players in the inner circle of Nexium include Allison Mack. She's a B or a C-list celebrity who acts in Smallville. Um, she obviously was not in a poor financial status either. She also becomes increasingly important the further we go on. Other noteworthy members did include really well-to-do um, Mexican and Latinx individuals. Nexium hit Mexico like hard. And so actually two of the sons of a former Mexican president were enrolled. Like there were a lot of really prominent political figures. Wow. Um, and Keith really threw his net out wide. Um, and he ended up with some real gems that he quickly used every ounce of for his advantage. But another fun fact here is that the Dalai Lama did visit Keith. I'm sorry, what? The Dalai Lama. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Why? Yep. No, because he was so ethical. He was the smartest man alive. They oh had to chat. God. It's fucked up. And then oh they get to God. use that to be like the Dalai Lama came to like add credentials. Jesus Christ. As if. So um, now I want to talk about retainment, which is kind of a funny way to title this section because it's actually the most fucked up shit I can think of. We're going to learn some Nexium terms here again. Stick with me through it. Um, but in Nexium, there's something called an ethical breach. Which means when someone breaks an ethic, makes a mistake, or does something that's simply not tolerated, they had to pay for it. They had to fix this ethical breach. Mm -hmm. Okay, this doesn't sound like a 
so little conversation. Keith fucking loved telling people they made ethical breaches. Anytime, all the time, for food, for sex, for anything. And when you, a lowly yellow sash Nexium member, cut your hair or cheats on your diet, your ethical breach is up to Keith to determine how to punish it. They had a diet they had to maintain? Well, it's whatever you wanted for your growth. So it's whatever you set up. If you break that, your ethical breach, there's a punishment. Oh, I'd be out on the first day. <laughs> Same. Um, even if that information comes down through other ranks, but it's all bureaucratic. So we'll hear about these breaches more to come. But just so we're aware, when Claire Bronfman spoke to a reporter and made a quote unquote ethical breach, Keith got to determine whatever that punishment was. Okay. Just so we know. So we're going to fast forward a little bit to 2012. The start of the setup for shit starting to hit the fan. An Albany Times Union article was released accusing Keith of having sex with minors, which is like good because he did. Right. Yeah. Um, but when you create a pot of loyal followers, especially ones that you manipulate and degrade at any given chance, as well as preach that you're the smartest and most ethical man in the world, they unfortunately tend to stay loyal. Mm-hmm. So Sarah Edmondson, we'll talk about her later, but she said in an interview that they were just straight up told not to believe it. That after that article came out, they all got sat down and they were like, um, any cause for change also causes backlash and it's going to be met with resistance. And um, for those of you who are with us for part one, this interview outlined Rhiannon's sexual assault for Ke- with Keith. Um Not any other minor victims we've seen and already spoken about, but in recounting, Rhiannon had said that there were over 60 sexual encounters with Keith. And despite going to the police, no charges were pressed and no investigation was ever made. Gina B. from Part 1 certainly fell under the statutory rape as she was at least a year under the age of consent. No charges were pressed. No investigation was made. And over years, plenty of allegations came up for teens that Keith had raped throughout his years. And throughout all of those, his followers stayed with him. It was out there. My jaw's on the floor and my stomach hurts. It's 2012 and all of this is out there. And they're still there. Like, that's the power he has over people. And so now I want to talk about Janess and the Society of Protectors. Mm-hmm. Jeunesse? Mm-hmm. Is that a person? No. Okay. So we get into the part of Nexium that really makes the rest possible. I'm not going to lie to you. This is the part that stresses me out the most. And it's solely because it's so disarming. Like you walk in and you're like, oh, th- like I've seen this. Like it looks like a church. Like you walk into these buildings and there's like a multi-purpose room and like breakout rooms and like probably a place for kids, maybe a kitchenette or something. Oh. And it's so incredibly nauseating um and we'll get there but it stressed me out because it's super non-threatening and despite the fact that keith had all of these allegations they used phrasing to basically say anything that comes out is a slander campaign because they want what we're doing they have a vendetta against keith they want money that we're getting from these programs so they want to discredit us and followers stayed and the part that gets really stressful is when they introduce Janess and the society of protectors These are essentially small groups for men and women, Um, not co-ed. They get together and discuss gendered like problems. 
And now as someone who spends a lot of time having to explain gender theory to a lot of people, I don't know that I love this as a limited option for groups of just male or female, but I understand the approach and the desire to have people that are like-minded and with similar issues to talk about life with. While I'm sure humans raised male have things that are different that they deal with than people who are raised female, um, I know for a fact that women have universal experiences among us as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and just so we know, to shorten my wordiness, I'll be moving into saying just men and women or male and female, but no, my heart's there. So Society of Protectors is what we're going to start with. Society of Protectors is the men's group in Nexium. Um, they would get together and they'd discuss men issues, you know. Mark Visante, who was the videographer who we talked to a little bit, was super close with Keith before realizing what was happening. He ends up testifying in court, which is fab. But allegedly, Society of Protectors members also had to provide collateral, which usually ended up being sums of money. The intent here was that there was something on the line to prove your commitment. And this could be to any goal, whether that's weight loss, saving more money, getting a car, getting a job or something. You'd put down collateral and reportedly, if you did what you committed to, you'd get your money back. Mm -hmm. They were also exposed to, quote unquote, readiness drills, which kept them on alert should there ever be an emergency, which I think this is weird. But I really want to note that this is normalized for Nexium members like They have to put collateral forward. They are held to their promises. They have to do things like readiness drills to prove you're part of a community and not just like on your own, which I can never do because I hate responding to texts. Mm -hmm. But um, I really want to make it known that this is comfortable to the male Nexium members. This is normal for them. And it shouldn't surprise you again that they recorded everything in this too so i did end up seeing some videos from one of this and by the way keith is ridiculous he talks about fucking anything like everything he's like sometimes you're so mad you just want to fuck something and i'm like literally that's never been me i <laughs> can't relate cannot relate i'm glad it's a men's issue if it's something men deal with but like keith ranieri saying like you ever just want to like fuck a ham Nope. No, I don't. <laughs> I Can't cannot say relate. I did, Keith. Nope. <laughs> Sorry about it. So then there's Jeunesse. Originally, I tried the website because duh. But www.jeunesse.com, as they advertised it, is now up for sale for like five grand. Hmm. So I actually ended up watching a YouTube recruitment video that compiled everything that Allison Mack did for Jeunesse. And it was underwhelming to say the least. She rambles about how there's no deadlines, but it's still difficult because you have to make progress on yourself and she has to take responsibility for her own role in things. There's a lot of white noise. There's like low jazz music in the background. I think you can hear wind. Um, There are like PowerPoint slides with like cutesy themes and colored letters asking questions that prelude her answers. Like it's kind of what you'd expect to see in like, I don't know, a ragtag team of college kids trying to put together a presentation. Yeah. And so just so that you understand what some of these are like, one of the questions is like, if happiness was the world's currency, what would make you rich? And as you may have guessed, Alison Mack's answer absolutely led her to what she does in Jeunesse every single clip, every single time. And she always ends with some sort of positive affirmation like, that's awesome. This question is great. Yeah, really great. And she, like, smiles really big at the end of it. Like, she really sells the thing. Okay. Um, and she comes across as pretty genuine. Um, 
and she loves performing. So I can't tell if she's just like really good at performing or just really bought into this or both. But the video compiles are through a few different years and you can see the quality get better. And again, it does start incredibly underwhelming. But through the years, the video quality gets better, the audio gets better, and even just articulation gets better. She becomes more polished. And and I'm not saying that you're not allowed to live and learn and grow. It's all any of us can do. But Allison Mack talks in more absolutes and throws in more happy, positive buzzwords. But if you listen to the words, the actual message is almost the exact same in every one of them. She was struggling because she thought she was too dependent on a man. She wanted to take responsibility for her own growth. All of these things over and over and over again for years. And like, maybe call me a skeptic, but if this is the same issue from 2013 to 2017, I'm not sure how effective it is if it's still circling four years later. Right. Nonetheless, Allison Mack sold the ever-living shit out of this. Not to mention that Jeunesse was a track for women, but it was not something that everyone in Nexium took. So, so is this like one of the classes they could take, basically? Yeah. So, as we'll see later, not everyone in Nexium was in Jeunesse, but nearly everyone, if not everyone, involved in the scary parts of the secret cult were indoctrinated through Jeunesse first. Jeunesse, despite the raves, was actually riddled with misogyny. Like disgusting women were taught that they were irresponsible if not narcissistic self-absorbed and inclined to cast themselves as victims this track had eight 11 day classes so So, it's 88 days but the classes were 11 days and there were eight of them okay so that's like 88 classes and um a whopping 40 grand that's yeah to be told that they're weak victims and need to change themselves that's to be less dependent on men yeah. So then we get to the sinister side of Nexium. And this is where I think this really picks up. So I want to say, hang on to your butts, like buckle up. It's going to be a lot. Okay. If that didn't catch you off guard, which I think it should have, I'm going to explain more sinister things that happened with Nexium. And no, we aren't getting into DOS yet. And DOS is the secret sex cult in Nexium. Hold your horses. Mm. There are things that happen within Nexium as a whole that should literally have waved so many red flags in your face that you'd shit your pants if there was a bowl. Like, not good. And this is just Nexium. I wanted to start by saying that everything we've talked about so far is build up for how these things were allowed to happen and why people put up with them for so long. Jeunesse and the Society of Protectors were pertinent to normalizing and overlooking blatant sexism and turning off your gut instinct. And this is a huge tactic that cults use. They make you question your instincts so that when they tell you to run, you don't. And Jeunesse not only did that to women by having women pay tens of thousands of dollars to be told that we self-victimize and that victims only exist if you let yourself be a victim, which takes all of the culpability off of offenders, but having SOP members experience collateral and readiness drills lowered their threshold for having a danger sign go off when DOS does come up later in the picture. But you're so calculated. It's ridiculous. Like you can see it woven through everything. And here's the thing. There's plenty of sinister shit that just happened in the name of Nexium on its own. And I want to talk about a few blatantly immoral things that happen. But one's kind of controversial. So first, the fright studies. Jen, 
was Sarah Edmondson's assistant. Sarah Edmondson comes up later. We'll talk more about her, but she was prominent in the company. She rose her way up. She's in the Mm -hmm. higher ups. So Jen becomes Sarah's assistant after some time with her and threw herself into Nexium. Jen took a wide range of courses and one specifically from the Society of Protectors. She said that it was a week of humiliation and essentially terror. It was intended to show why men weren't as emotional as women or some sexist shit like that. Jesus Christ. And Jen recounts in the first few days, the men took a bunch of secret photos of the women. And maybe it was like when an underwear line was above your pants or visible or like they would literally take photos over the woman's shirts, like down them. Um, And they built a slideshow of this and showed it to the woman. And these asshats literally go, some of you aren't from here, but we have a lot of cow pastures and wanted to show you the best in show and proceeded to show these women a PowerPoint of a bunch of cows and intermingled the random photos that they took in secret of that week. Uh, So like, here's a random cow. There's your friend, Jessica's tits. There's another cow, another cow, someone whose underwear was above their pants line from this week. uh, Yup. I would have literally sobbed. Oh my God. And that's not even the point of this. By the way, this oh. is not the fright studies. This is just fucking part of it. Is this just day one of 88? Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So this is, this so is good. So Jen good, good. said good, she good, thought good. the purpose of this was to show them that women want the respect of men, but to get it that they flaunt their bodies thinking it will help, but it only makes men disrespect them more. When asked if she so wait, believed... So a woman ran this? Oh, no, no, no. She said that's what they were told the purpose was. Okay. So this wasn't her idea. To, okay. No, no, That's no. what I thought. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, so when asked if Jen believed this, Jen said at the time, fully and completely. Oh, that's how like that's fucking brainwashing. Like that's sad. It's so sad. And during Jen's time in Nexium, she recounts them doing many things in the name of science. Dr. Brandon Porter, a Nexium member, conducted a fucking large amount of studies that were all seriously controversial. And I'm going to throw in a quick pin here. Just so we're aware, it's great to participate in studies. All studies that are legitimate have to have IRB approval. The IRB is the Institutional Review Board, and the study used or done is required to have approval. Any single study, Mm -hmm. including mine in college, on just college kids for practice, has to have IRB approval. And so the main purpose for this is to make sure that the study is causing None to the least amount of harm possible, and that if any harm does come from it, that the information will be pertinent enough to justify whatever's going on. I seriously doubt that was incorporated. But another thing to be aware of is informed consent. Consent is only true consent when you are informed of all that will happen. And in studies, this can be difficult. Usually, you can't be told everything right off the bat to try to prevent you from messing with the study, but you should be told everything you're going to do. So, like, You might sit and watch some videos. You might have to press a button and then you'd be talked to afterwards and debriefed and told what the purpose of the study was, where you can find more information, why they thought it was important. So I don't think any of this happened. But just so you know, please do participate in studies. We need them. They're important. But always look for IRB approval. Always get informed consent. And then you should always be debriefed. And if any of these things don't happen, make a fuss. It's important. So anyway, we're taking that pin out and we're going back to Jen. 
It's 2016, and Jen is in Albany taking courses. Her roommate at the time says, oh, hey, we're doing a study. Would you do it? Like, I was asked to recruit people. Would you do this? And Jen had, new cl- like, no clue what it was about. But as you are in Nexium, she was trying not to ask questions. So, so she this didn't. is a roommate from Nexium. Yeah. So they're okay. both staying in Albany taking courses. Okay. Probably, at, like, one of the intensives or whatever. Okay. And so Jen was like, all right, cool. Um, and also, by the way, if they asked questions, they were like, well, shouldn't you be willing to do anything to grow? And it's like, well, maybe not anything, but whatever. So, yeah, not not that. Um, Jen says a few days later, her roommate came home super out of sorts and like sobbing. She mm-hmm. says she remembers her roommate saying the study was just really intense and she didn't feel good. And Jen, of course, has second thoughts. She's like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't do it. And her roommate immediately was like, no, do it. Um, And basically, she said, like, I'm struggling because it was intense and it brought up a lot of stuff for me. Like, the actual study isn't that bad. Like, this is my problem. It's my fault. It's my issues. And so she was like, Jen, you should still do it. And, you know, this is like one of her best friends. They believe in all the same things. They go to all the same courses. So she's like, "Okay, I'll do it. And so a few days later, she gets picked up by Dr. Porter and Jen says their relationship was friendly. She knew him, his wife, his kids, like they were in a community together. So she trusts him. She doesn't worry about getting picked up or by doing a study. In fact, studies were so well done in Nexium that at times students would have like their EEGs hooked up in the middle of random sessions. So an EEG is like where they put all the goop on your head and attach all the wires so they can like monitor your brain activity. Mm-hmm. They would just do that randomly. So it was like really normalized. Um, and they drove to the building where they do all the classes. Dr. Porter like goes in, turns all the lights on. He has Jen sit down and like she sees one of the caps and she's like, cool, I've seen these. Been here, worn one. He hooked her up. So she's hooked up in a chair alone in this building with him. With the lights on and he sets up this projector or like movie or something. She's watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he starts this film and she knows it's like a movie movie. It's a film set and it's a dark street. And all she can hear is someone screaming, bite the curb and a little boy screaming, daddy, no. And then she hears sirens and she's like, oh, my God, what the fuck? And the Society of Medical Misconduct says that this is a scene from a movie depicting a Nazi assaulting a black man with his son present, which, bro, what the fuck is with this guy Nazis? But the Nazi actually ends up stomping on the man's head and he dies in front of his son in this film. And so Jen freaks out and says, what the fuck is this? And Dr. Porter stops the clip and says, oh, how was that for you? Not good. Like, she's fucking freaking out. Not good, Doc. And when she calms down, he plays the next one. (laughs) In the next one, there's some women in a bar, and it's dingy. It's primarily men. And this is another movie clip. She can tell it's a movie. It's that quality. And in this clip, a man and a beautiful woman come into the bar. And I unfortunately feel like I know, and y'all know where it's going, but it's not good. And the beautiful woman ends up getting gang raped. In this movie, and Jen is like shaking and crying and rocking back and forth, and this asshat like finally stops the clip. And this is like an actual movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he says basically the same thing, like, "What's going on for you?" And then he goes to play the last clip, but he goes, "You know what? I'm worried to show you since you've had more intense reactions than anyone else." Which, first of all, like fucking how? Um, but second of all, 
fuck you. And so Jen looks up at him and she's like, just fucking do it. She doesn't want to be weak. She wants to show that she has character, discipline, strength, because she's told through everything that she becomes like she self victimizes. She's weak. She can't do this. So she's like, fuck you. I'm going to do it. Play the clip. And he plays the last clip and she thinks, oh, not a a movie. This is real footage. Like Mm -hmm. she can tell it's like from a phone or a camera. It's not professional grade. Okay. And there's a clip of a bunch of men with bandanas on their mouths and holding guns in like a cornfield. Mm-hmm. And in front of the men, there are four women on their knees. Their hands are tied behind their back and their chests are exposed. Um, and the man, there's like a man bes- like off to the side that isn't behind the woman who starts talking in a language that she doesn't know. And there was some sort of signal and all of the men grabbed the women by their hair pulled it back and took out a machete and chopped their heads off. One didn't die and one's kind of writhing and the men just start chopping off all their limbs. Oh, this is not a movie. Oh my God. This is the one that's like a clip. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. And so obviously Jen is super disturbed recounting it. I can only imagine what it's like to be fucking hooked up to a machine alone in a room with a man in like a dark after hours classroom watching this shit oh my god how terrifying was the walk home for her i'm certain it was awful and she says it was horrific and she just like dissociated and tears obviously and snot were like leaking out of her face and she was just like in shock and once again dr asshat goes so how are you feeling right now was this a nexium video like did they do that yeah this is nexium this is just nexium so Nexium killed those women? Oh, I don't know if Nexium killed the woman. I have no idea where he got that video. Um, and he goes, anything you've had a big reaction to tonight, those are things you could work on. You could go find out why it's so hard. Go get an exploration of meaning and resolve that. I don't think I'd, I'm upset that she's upset about no, a no. woman being gang raped no. or women being murdered. I think Or a man being murdered in front of a son. Like, all of that horrific. Perfectly healthy. I forgot about the first. I guess I'm, I'm forgetting about the movies because, like, uh-huh. to me, that's, like. That's a movie. That was a movie. Yeah. That's a clip. That, that's a like, fucking clip that they made her watch. And, and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And so Jen remembers thinking, why would I ever want to resolve that and be okay with gang rape or murder? Yeah. Okay, so we're on the same page. And her al- her head also said, stop fighting. Take the feedback. Strong women take feedback. And if you're fighting, it's probably true. Okay. Because that's what they train you to think. Oh, my God. And so Jen goes home. She takes a shower and she texts her coach that she needed an EM. And it really made my heart hurt. And like, I don't know. I'm just so nauseous even reading it again. But Jen never knew what the experiments were about. And Keith patented a work in 2007 that describes nearly the exact same, exact same thing. In this work, he titled it The Fright Studies. The patent is called Determination of Whether a Luciferian Can Be Rehabilitated. And a Luciferian or a Luciferian was a Nexium term in which people take pleasure in others' pain. Ugh. How this sees that, I have no fucking clue. And why Jen participated and was told to work on her reaction, I don't know. But Jen tried to forget about it and obviously was fucking haunted by the violence that she saw. And it wasn't until after she left, like a year later, that everything with DOS came out. 
And when Jen took some time to reflect on what she learned and her experience, she filed a complaint with the medical boards against Dr. Porter, which is like fucking at a girl. Um, Jen is also engaged to another former Nexium member. She's a business owner and she struggles with the teachings that let her sit in the chair watching those brutal scenes. Her thought process has, she says this, been hijacked, honestly making her think that she was so constantly in the wrong and so unethical that she thought it would be better for her to sit there. That good for humanity could come from watching from this. And I think once a systematic code of ethics has you constantly doubting yourself, the manipulation and the room for error is vast. Jen says she still has a lot of deprogramming to do. Dr. Porter faced numerous charges, including gross negligence, gross incompetence, and included something like 16 violations of medical laws and guidelines. So like snaps for Jen. (laughs) Okay. The last thing we're going to talk about today. I know this is long. But it's fascinating. <laughs> the Tourette studies. Okay. So this is the one that's kind of controversial. And at this point, it should come as no surprise that Nexium likes to do things, quote unquote, in the name of science. Mm. So we're going to talk about Nancy Salzman and how she, quote unquote, cured Tourette's. <laughs> okay. Yikes. Sorry. This is definitely the most controversial of the studies because some people thoroughly believe in it. Like, there are people that it worked for that they say they no longer have Tourette's. Damn it, Nancy. And so, obviously, Jen's is controversial because it fucking sucks and it's awful and it's terrifying. But I don't think anybody is refuting that. Mm -hmm. These are controversial because there are people on both sides. Um, Tourette's is a mental health disorder in which someone deals with compulsions and tics. These tics can be physical, maybe a twitch or a movement that someone has to do. Sometimes they're verbal, like outbursts of language or name calling. It's a really difficult diagnosis to live with for a lot of people. And I'm going to talk about how two people were diagnosed with Tourette's and spent time with Nancy Salzman to treat it. First, we're going to talk about Mark Elliott. Not only do I think it's pertinent to add the success story, but I want to compare and contrast this with another individual later. Mark is still, to this day, a direct believer in Nexium and loves Keith Ranieri. But he's drinking the Kool-Aid. Like, still like bathing in it. Yeah, like Keith Ranieri has been through the courts and he's bathing in the Kool-Aid still. Because it worked for him. Yep. And so... All right. I think because of this specific experiment and even in like the vow when we talk about Isabella who comes up in just a second here she talks with another former Nexium member who was like I literally asked Mark what would have to happen for him to leave Nexium and he said he would never leave Nexium because he's getting to treat Tourette's okay yeah all right so that's not it okay um and it's unfortunate but Mark is like actually really hot (laughs) <laughs> Aww, um, I hate to see it yeah you do hate to see it but uh, he doesn't really see anything beyond the Tourette stuff so Nancy really thought that EMs could cure this and Mark had Tourette's his entire life he joined Nexium before the Tourette stuff he actually thought it was great and then he heard about the Tourette's treatment being offered Mark states that he overcame his Tourette's so much so that he says he's cured he says that he used to have Tourette's And he created a movie called My Tourette's that Nexium put out basically as like a campaign for themselves. Yeah, basically an advertisement. Yeah. Um, And I want to quickly say that I don't personally think 
cure is the right word. Like it implies that it's curable and not chronic. It's basically saying that Tourette's is like non-controllable and to cure it is saying you can control it. Right. But that's literally against the definition of Tourette's. So Mark sits down with Nancy and they basically set up another exploration of meaning. These EMs. And she sticks this cap on his head um, and gets all the goop on there. And not the goop. Yeah, the goop. <laughs> and Mark meets with Nancy and they start and she tries to like disconnect the stimulus and response. Her whole thing is like when you tick, what is happening in your body that says you need to tick and why do you do it? Can't you just stop doing it? Like what if your body is just uncomfortable and you just don't do the thing to relieve it? Um, so it makes Tourette's a choice, which that's like saying, like, I know you have cancer, but consider this. Stop. What if you didn't? <laughs> like, what if you just allowed your cells to just mutate? Right. Typically. Or like, I know you have cancer and no one can see it, but you're being really attention seeking with the chemo shit that's making your hair fall out. What if you just didn't do that? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just yeah. like. Some things aren't a choice. Some things are just something that you have to like adapt to living with. Yeah. And for some people, I think that was a really exciting idea. Like it was an approach that like, wait, maybe I do have control over this thing. And so I think a lot of people brought into it, Mark it was, included. Yeah, it was probably comforting to feel like things weren't terminal. Right. And so when Nancy says... All of these things. Basically, Mark says it's like created more freedom in his responses. Like other participants could feel the urges, but they would be less intense afterwards or they could ignore him. But Mark says that after this, he no longer deals with Tourette's. He calls himself healed. Mark boasts on social media that he worked with Nancy and Keith helping other people replicate his results. He says that within four to five hours, he saw a 90% reduction in people's Tourette's tics. Four to five hours. People spend their lives looking for treatment for Tourette's, let alone a cure. And he's saying, I can take that down to 10% of your Tourette's in five hours. I feel like potentially he had a different condition that wasn't Tourette's, that maybe he was misdiagnosed. Yeah. Or, and here's the thing that bothers me. I think you can still absolutely have Tourette's, but just not do the tics. That doesn't mean you don't have Tourette's. You're still having the impulses. You still want to tick. But you're being told that you're weak when you tick. I hate everything about this. Yeah. It's awful. My stomach hurts again. Thank you. And so I want to talk about Isabella. And she's not going to make you feel better. Okay. Um, Isabella also had Tourette's and was in the studies. And she is described by her grandmother as beautiful and lovely. Hmm. She is a very talented painter. Very creative and very empathetic. And Isabella gives a first-hand recount of the first time she ticked. She was in third grade, and it was during reading time, she says. Um, she was reading her little book, just kind of in her own world. And she says that she felt a tickle in her throat. Normal, cool, you clear your throat. Mm-hmm. But then she says it doesn't go away. She has to clear it a bunch of times. And mm-hmm. that became a tick. Like, a <clears throat> like forever, because she mm-hmm. didn't feel like it would ever go away. And so... There's actually also a 2020 from ABC where Isabella is a child getting her Tourette's looked at, which is fascinating for her to be in media multiple times for this. Mm -hmm. But you can really see it. She like hits herself. She like punches herself. She slams her head against walls. She has to say things. She's like stabbing a pancake with a fork like a bunch of fucking times. 
Um, and she just talks about it because she has Tourette's and OCD. So I think some of them kind of play off of each other. Like your compulsions with OCD mixed with tics is probably a little bit worse. She probably gets into a cycle. Yeah. And the doctor does say that he she has one of the worst cases of Tourette's he's ever seen. Okay. And just to like make your little heart happy because I know you guys are like me and you need this. Um, in one of the little video clips from this ABC 2020, the doctor says to Isabel, he goes, you know, if there's one thing I could give kids with Tourette's, it would be resiliency. And he's like, do you know what that is? And she's like, no. And he's like, well, it's when you say like, yeah, this is tough, but I'm tougher and I can get through it. It's not going to define me. And this cute little like eight year old, nine year old Isabella with like her little short hair and like whatever dingy, like weird Kohl's clothes that you get when you're 10. Mm -hmm. She's like, (laughs) I have that. And she's really excited. And he's like, yeah, I can see that you do. And he's like laughing with her and she's laughing. And it's so precious. And it makes me so sad that she had to deal with that so long. Like that was as a kid. And it took her um, until I believe she was a senior in college and it got bad again. And then they were like, I'm looking for fucking whatever. Like I'll take anything. Yeah. At this point, I need it. So for those of you who are interested in Isabella alone, her story is tracked through the vow on season two, episode three, stimulus and response. But anyway, here's the controversy with Isabella. Isabella's Tourette's gets a little better, but it comes off with other consequences. Isabella is older. She recounts being in her last year of college when everything got difficult again. And they cut to the video with Nancy speaking to Isabella. Nancy says, are you afraid of losing it? Like the Tourette's. And Isabella goes, no, it's literally all I've ever wanted. Mm -hmm. Like my heart is breaking for her. And so they knew it could be risky, but they do it anyway. Because again, they're going to try fucking anything. She's had the worst case of Tourette's anybody's seen since she was like a child. Yeah, I mean, she can hurt herself. And so about day three, they do like video diaries and she checks in every day. And about day three, Isabella says that she has her perceptual shift. She says, looking back on the ticks, Nancy was like, again, what if you didn't respond that day? What if you just let your throat itch or like drank water mm-hmm. instead chose a different response? And so she says um, it was really empowering to be like, yeah, maybe the body just can be uncomfortable and I can go on. And they replay videos from her treatment sessions. And you can see just like the fucking hope in her eyes when she got to talk to her dad for 20 minutes, like 20 minutes straight without having a tick. Like she literally was like, it's so great. He called my mom and was like, there was no stop for ticks. There was no pause, nothing like 20 straight minutes. And that's what she's looking for. Like that's the hope in her day today. And um, it's amazing. Like I don't want to take away from that. And she gets a bigger smile every day. And she jokes about her OCD being like a 10 or a 12 on a scale out of 10 because it can't be 11 because it has to be even. And then (laughs) she smiles and she's like, but today it felt like it was a one or a two, maybe even a one since it doesn't need to be even. Oh, and that's like amazing progress. And I really don't want to discredit that. Like there might be something there, whatever it is, they didn't do it on purpose and they didn't stumble onto it knowingly, but there might be something there. But Isabella says she's so grateful and it has nothing to do with why she left Nexium. But here's where I get really vigorously angry at these studies. Nancy puts all of this notion in the participant's head that it's all a choice. Is it an empowering statement? Absolutely. But is it true? Not according to the literal definition of Tourette's, which states that it's non-controllable. And it worked for Mark, and it did some really positive thing for other people's lives. But it also adds blame to the person with the condition. 
there's a quote of Nancy Salzman saying, anytime you don't feel good, that's a state you're pretending you're not in control of. Um, yeah. And while that might be true with something like a Debbie Downer or someone who just can't read a room, I'm not sure how this applies to things like headaches or physical ailments or uncontrollable neurological conditions like Tourette's syndrome. I would love to think away a migraine. Right? Really. Oh, damn. I'm pretending I'm not in control of this migraine. Go away, you piece of shit. Like, what the fuck? Okay. So Isabella, through these video diaries, chats about how hard it is to do compulsions because she knows she can stop, but sometimes she still does it. And she becomes like increasingly ashamed of her diagnosis as this goes on. And when she gets to the end and she gets better with a lot of her tics, she actually says like, I'm not comfortable telling anybody I have Tourette's anymore. But part of that is because she feels like anytime she ticks, it's her fault. Like she's a bad person. Like she's unethical. Like she's weak. So she recounts being pressured to get off of her meds. In one of her other diaries, she's crying and saying how hard it is to come off the meds, but that Mark said it's good and she's having withdrawal symptoms because it means her body is adjusting and changing. And I think Isabella speaks to me because her story feels like the epitome of Nexium. Meant for good, but causes increasing harm and is still followed out of goodwill and good faith. She says it doesn't feel good, but it probably is and gives like a small smile. Um, and so her ticks went down, but her OCD got significantly worse. And when she tried to talk to Mark or Nancy, they'd say, why are you choosing to do this? Why are you choosing to tick? Why are you choosing to do these things? Nancy actually pulled her aside one day and said that she was being attention seeking because of it. She became really withdrawn. And I sense that there's some depression there, but regardless, Now, what we know is that obviously Nancy is not a therapist. She's not credentialed and never was. Further, she didn't even research Tourette's. (laughs) Can we take a fucking moment? She says this in a quote. She claims she didn't want to be biased. That's why she didn't look into it. Apparently, understanding what you're poking at is biased. But the exact quote was, when I first started working with people who had Tourette's, I never researched much about Tourette's. I just said, yeah, let me take a crack yeah. at it. <laughs> he said, hold on. I think I got something that'll work. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do, I'll guilt you into not doing it. Oh, my God. So further, this was not a study that was conducted with any IRB approval to my knowledge, nor does it seem to be conducted with any regard to the potential harm that it could and did cause a lot of people. Sure, Keith had ideas that he wanted to make science he wanted to reproduce it he wanted to be specific he wanted it to be theory driven but they weren't kosher even a little bit there was no rationale for these there's no background in these and they worked they stumbled onto something but whatever they stumbled onto it was not on purpose Mm. and another thing i just wanted to throw out there isabella again had that comorbidity with the ocd maybe they shouldn't fucking do this experiment on people with complex comorbid disorders and also the worst Tourette's that people have seen. Right. Like, okay. that's probably not going to go fucking well, my guy. But they did it. Um, and maybe they just actually need to be control- like done by actual fucking professionals. Who knows? So because it is super long, and I'm going to wrap this up because I hit page 20, and that means it has already been a long as hell episode. I just want to give a quick recap because we covered a lot of ground today. Mm. 
Today, we talked about how Keith manipulated and used Nancy Salzman to open Nexium and the executive success programs. We heard about Barbara Boucher and her role with Keith within the organization. We also heard about Keith's ruthless legal retaliation against Barbara and Tony Natale. We heard about the men and the women's groups that indoctrinated misogyny and manipulation in many of Nexium members and that they were taught through what Nancy and Keith called the curriculum. Mm. Lastly, we heard the really fucked up shit that happened to people in Nexium just in the name of science. Next week, we're going to talk about DOS or the secret society within Nexium. DOS stands for Dominus Obsequius Sororium, which roughly translates from Latin into Master of the Obedient Female Companions, per the New York Times. I want to throw up. Along with DOS, we'll learn about more key players, Allison Mack, Lauren Salzman, Sarah Edmondson, Camilla Marcella, Nikki Klein, and India Oxenberg. Ultimately, we will hear a lot of really fucked up shit. And there's a really, really big sexual trauma, torture, and blackmail trigger for next week's episode. (laughs) Just so you know. But lastly, we'll look at how Sarah Edmondson's bravery led to shining light on really dark places and all that comes with it. The terror, the glory, the enlightenment, and those who reject. And if you remember from last time, we'll just do a recount. So our victim count in part two would be Nancy Salzman, Lauren Salzman, Barbara Boucher, Tony Natale, Claire Brumpman, Jen and her roommate for the Fright Studies, and Isabella from the Tourette's experiments. Tactics here used were guilt, making people do favors for you, which, by the way, is a real psychological thing. If you want someone to like you, ask them to do you a favor. Um, because people will rationalize it in their head. They won't do a favor for someone they don't like, so they will like you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's cognitive dissonance. It's a hell of a drug. But they also used conditioning. They used just like straight up terrifying people, um, relentless pursuit of lawsuits, and were super victim blamey. So there's part two. And then a big umbrella over all of those is just gaslighting. Oh, yeah. No, gaslight fucking I'm still squinty city. from it. I'm still like, oh, I can't see yeah. all that oh, light. I can't see through it. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think? That was a lot. Yeah. And so good. This isn't even like all of it. This is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. See, that's what blows my mind. But again, I didn't know really anything about this. Like I've never like researched it. It, So I had heard about it very briefly. And then it wasn't until I watched The Vow that I like actually was like, oh, this shit is fucked. And then I started watching everything. And every time I heard something new, it was like, wait, nobody said that before. And it was like something wild. Like, you know, the Tourette's studies or like the fright studies where it's like, okay, so we're just like showing people murder videos for funsies and telling them that their reaction is a problem. And that they need to work on that. So it doesn't happen. What next time? Yeah. What? When the next time that you machete a woman to death in front of me? Seriously. I shouldn't be upset about that. Yeah. Let me go work on that because it's going to be real applicable. It's just. But it's so calculated. Yeah. And here's the thing. So you guys, I told Allie this. I want to tell you guys, we have been looking at part one and part two through a lens of knowing all of the things about Keith that we do now. Next part, I'm going to take that out. I'm just going to present it as the women had it when they were in the middle of all of this. Because I want you to put yourself there. They didn't know that he was a piece of shit. They didn't know much about him. They just knew that it was a good group of people dedicated to making themselves better. And yeah, there were a few weird things. But they were small weird things you could shrug off. A sash, 
Okay, weird, but whatever. It's a sash. Standing when people entered the room. Well, now I have community. Other people do it with me. And like all of these things are so tactful and so manipulated. But it's also that what happens in the next episode happens without anybody asking questions. And it is so incredibly ridiculous. The idea that it all that always comes up when we talk about cults and I'm glad that you did this because we got such an outpouring of people asking us to cover cults mm-hmm. and we were doing some polls about what you guys wanted to hear. Um, so again, ask and you shall receive. Truly. But the idea that it's us versus them. Yeah. And you can't when you're, trust them. When you're part of a cult, when you're part of any of these groups, you're on this elevated ground above the rest of the world. And even if your family and your friends and other people aren't in it with you, leave them behind mm-hmm. because this is where you belong. And this is enlightenment. And these were people that were educated and yeah. hardworking and could provide for themselves and had done before. Yeah. And had lives that were full just maybe not fulfilling to them yeah and just needed more and so to look around like if i'm one of them if i'm one of those girls that was in that experiment and i'm going to these classes and i'm doing this and i'm paying i mean i don't know what loans i would have had to take out probably similar to college loans yeah just to go participate in this thing that's going to put me in this elite class consider you're paying 40 grand for someone to take a picture of your tits and compare them to a cow and then they expect you to say thank you. Yep. You know, but this idea that you have to leave the rest all behind. Yeah. And in any bit of it where you kind of second guess yourself on it, you're taught that that's just your weakness and you need yep. to force that out is just such an interesting thing that anything that upsets you or anything that's bothering you is your own fault. Yep. It's which, not us. It's you. Which there are. This might be. I don't know, controversial, but there are some very minor threads if taken in like a very broad way can be helpful. Like, for example, like we look at anxiety and we look at someone who's anxious by nature can have a tendency to make their their own anxiety worse. Right. And so stopping in the moment and thinking, okay, what, you know, what of this can I control? What of this can I not control? What what of this is serving me? What of this is not serving me? And trying to evaluate the situation and be logical. But when you just now put all those, those logical and those facts, things that you're putting in as all Mm -hmm. of like the cult rules. Yeah. And so now you just start looking through that lens and you think, well, this must be my fault. And well, and the thing about that, I agree But I think that with anxiety or something like that, where you're teaching yourself to ground and be present and say, okay, what part of this is me? What part of this is an anxiety voice? Like what is logical and what is rational and worth keeping here is much different than saying, I think this is worth keeping, but Colt says no. So it's my fault that I thought this. Well, right. And so I think it's like, it's taking that very broad idea that yeah is it is helpful that you know that has been taught in therapy and has been taught in psychology classes and then kind of flipping it on its head and using it like the inverse way and saying this is your fault because of that yeah and i think that's part of what's fascinating about this and with the tourette stuff too like they take real actual theories and ideas and manipulate them so incredibly badly like 
I'm so glad that it worked for Mark Elliott. I'm so glad that his Tourette's is cured. And like, I'm not kidding. Like, I am genuinely glad for him. That mm-hmm. sounds amazing, like a huge relief. But whatever it was, it didn't work the same for everyone. And it caused so much harm to just straight up be like, you're choosing your Tourette's today. Mm-hmm. That makes you weak. Yeah. It's insane. I chose anxiety just because, I don't know, that's kind of like a no, I know. <laughs> universal one. But, I mean, I guess you could look at it like with anything and, and choosing what you're going to allow to take yeah. up space in your mind or how is it serving you or if you're worrying about it, is that going to change the outcome? And things that I think have a place yeah, in our, you know, day-to-day life. But you take that so far to an extreme, it's not that anymore. Yeah. I just, it's fucked. It's so wild. Um, you guys, if you get therapy, please make sure you get therapy from someone with a license. That's a good start. Um, yeah. Also, consider if you look at psychology today, it will always have licensure down below. And if you're like really skeptical, you can look up on licensure boards. Their name will come up. Yeah, just Google your state and look up the licensing and you can run their name and get their license number. It's not difficult. Promise. Yep. Um, so it's super easy to double check if you want to double check. And it's usually easy to find if you don't want to double check. Just in general. You know what else they could look up, though? Hmm. Truthfully. Yeah. Our Instagram. Oh, my gosh. They totally could. Do you guys want to know how? I think they'd love to know how. Can you Oh, my gosh. You okay, them? you guys, stop. Stop. I'll tell you. Please, seriously, come on. Stop. No, seriously, okay. stop No, it. really, I'm trying to tell you. Um, <laughs> story time. <laughs> you can go to Instagram and look in that little search button, and you type in about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. So that's... <gasps> A-B-O-U-T, period, T-I-M-E, period, F-O-R, period, T-R-U-E, period, C-R-I-M-E, period, P-O-D, with periods between every single word. And also, do remember that on there, we've got pictures of the people, the places, the things. We've got highlights. We've got resources for you. We've got resources that victims' families stand behind. We have memes. We've got pod pets. we got the whole nine, so get your ass over there. Seriously. I mean, Come really. on. Um, but if you wanted to send us like a case request or pictures of your pod pets with their cute little nicknames like Schmuckums or um, Mr. Booty Bocutie, cute no, it's Cutie Bo Booty. That's what we call Newt. Because um, <laughs> his little when he struts, his little yeah. butt cheeks like pop out because he's got the long hair. Aww. Oh, it's so cute. Anyway, so whatever you call your little pod pets, just so you um, guys know that Newtons are cat. Yeah. Uh, not a human. That'd yeah. be weird. Not like it's little ass hairs. Just, little ass hairs, just, just like, love it. <laughs> um, no, that's my cat. And you can find him on the Instagram because he has his own post. Just so you know. But if you wanted to send us something longer, maybe a story you're fascinated by, what your thoughts are on Nexium and all of this crazy ass shit, you could send that to our email. Ellie, where would they do that? So if you guys wanted to email us, you could do so at about time, the number four, TC at gmail.com. So that would be A B O U T T I M E, numeric four, TC at gmail.com. We would love to see you on over there. And you guys. I hope you like this two-hour fucking episode. We said they'd be longer when we went down to one a week. So We did. You're welcome. But if I look at my watch, that was About about Time time for True Crime. Bye. Uh, Go take care of yourself. Drink some water. That's a lot.